Unfortunately, you can't put your kids in a bubble. Welcome to SBH Bronx Health Talk, produced by SBH Health System and broadcast from the beautiful studios at St. Barnabas Hospital in the Bronx. I'm Stephen Clark. Chicken pox and measles, mumps and fifth disease, ear infections and pink eye, croup and whooping cough, Coxsackie virus and Kawasaki disease. Children are susceptible to more viral and bacterial infections and allergic and immunological diseases than you can ever imagine. With us today to discuss childhood diseases and infections is Dr. Tsolin Kajaklanian, who from now on we'll call Dr. K. Uh, and Dr. K is a pediatric infectious disease specialist at SBH Health System. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Steve. So first of all, why are children susceptible to so many different diseases? So children's immune system in the first few years of life is underdeveloped. It doesn't reach the adult levels of maturity to, till at least two years of age. So specifically, the first two years of life are when children are most susceptible to infections, where in adults, our immune system would be able to handle it. However, in kids, it may really affect them uh, more significantly. I've always wondered, I know when my kids were little, the question was, do we expose them to kids or don't we? We keep them in a bubble. What's best, you know, for the future? No, of course, we cannot keep them in a bubble. On the contrary, the, it's all, uh, the trends are all towards globalization, more socialization. Therefore, we will be interacting much more with each other. And it's the close uh, interaction uh, also, in addition to their poor immune system, that puts uh, certain children at risk, especially those children who attend daycare, and therefore they are sharing uh, each other's mucus, each other's saliva, each other's uh, secretory, uh, even poop, and pee if you like, because obviously you cannot teach a two-year-old how to wash their hands. So what we should be doing as adults to try to prevent as much as possible highly contagious or transmissible diseases is for us to pay attention to these things. And the first and most common thing to do is good hand hygiene, basically washing our hands with soap and water before and after handling any young child before preparing their food and after before and after changing their diaper, those simple measures that we may not think about because it's so common sense is really what would prevent a lot of infections, especially in, as I said, closed environments. Another thing in daycare settings and schools that might help, and most schools have adopted, I hope, is um, cleaning the doorknobs, cleaning the toys, cleaning the computer keyboards that the kids are using on a daily basis. And that also is another way of, uh, of preventing infections, especially those that can sit on those objects for a long time. Is, is something like daycare good in the long run for, for a child as far as building their immune system? Uh, that, that's actually a very uh, interesting question. You uh, you have a school that says the more you expose them and the earlier you expose them, that actually builds their immune system. And I tend to believe in that to a certain extent, obviously. So therefore, again, you want to prevent severe infections as much as possible. And you want to make sure that that child is not going to stay at home and therefore indirectly affect the parent's productivity. Because if you don't have a child care at home, then the parent 
client has to stay home from work and etc etc so it becomes a, a vicious cycle however yes we also don't want to keep the kids completely isolated we do want them to uh, be exposed to different uh, stimuli whether good or bad stimuli because yes that is a way to build their immune system as well so the answer to your question is daycare is a necessity of our modern life it's not going to go away anytime soon therefore again it's up to us adults to try our best to prevent the spread of infection from one child to the other in those settings i know i remember years ago as a, as a young father if we had friends or they had kids who came over to the house and god forbid they had a cold it was like you know what open the windows up <laughs> you know keep our kids away from them in hindsight was that like over the top well, uh, to be honest, uh, window opening is not going to really prevent the spread of right. disease. It has been shown that most of these viruses or bacteria to be transmitted from one person to the other, it is close contact that's what leads to the infection. Specifically, three feet is the distance that we talk about. So even if you open that window, if uh, your son played with the uh, your friend's son within three feet of each other, then whatever window you open, or even if you were in the outdoor space, that was bound to happen. So again, the idea is that yes, uh, we want to make sure that our kids live a healthy life. They are outdoors people. They are, especially this day and age, you know, most kids are already tending to be isolated on their phones and screen time. On the contrary, we want them to go out and play in the dirt and touch each other and interact with each other and uh, teach them when they come home how to wash their hands, how to cough uh, within their sleeves, uh, sleeve or sneeze within their their sleeve, not to touch their face or put their hands in their mouth after touching something else. So basic things we can teach them when they're in the teachable age <laughs> that can help uh, prevent the spread of infections. And another way to prevent those that cannot prevent by hand washing. So for example, those infections uh, that are airborne, such as measles, that can lead to severe complications is uh, vaccines. And that's why we advocate uh, as well that vaccines are an important part of preventing not the simple colds. We're not interested in to prevent those. We're interested in preventing severe infections that can lead to debilitating uh, complications. Specifically, what diseases are you talking about now? In the uh, first couple of years of life where I already mentioned their immune system is weak, we need to help them battle the most severe of infections. So for example, those that cause uh, pertussis, which is whooping cough, uh, those that can cause meningitis, which is infection of the covering of the brain, those that can cause uh, measles, mumps, and chickenpox. Uh, those are the ones that we advocate to vaccinate against. Are you getting pushback? Are you seeing any pushback from parents when it comes to vaccines in the Bronx? In our experience, our parents are very uh, smart when it comes to protecting their children. And in the vast majority of the cases, they understand that that is for the benefit of their children and not just their children, but the, their community and even their own parents, because there is such a thing called as herd immunity. So when you vaccinate kids, you also indirectly protect their grandparents. So we have been happy with uh, our parents and the communication and the trust we have built in between the SBH community and the parents we serve. And we um, rarely have to struggle when it comes to that uh, particular service we provide. Are you finding there are certain childhood illnesses that are endemic to the Bronx? 
Not really. Uh, these uh, diseases uh, tend to be uh, common uh, geographically, uh, mostly because of the weather. So what you find here might be different than what you find in California or uh, in North Carolina because they have certain ticks that we don't have. But no, there aren't anything. There isn't any specific infection endemic to the Bronx that that is specific to the population that we are serving. I know, in addition to being an infectious disease specialist, obviously you're a pediatrician as well. When do you bring a child to see a doctor? So in the winter, obviously, that is a very important issue, right? And certain daycares and schools have their set of rules as to when they want a child be kept at home if they are sick. And unfortunately, we are not always on the same page, meaning pediatricians and daycares and schools are not always on the same page as to who should stay home and who should uh, return to school. If we were uh, thinking in the absolute uh, strict terms, a child who should be kept home from school or daycare uh, uh, certain situations which are if the patient of if the child cannot participate in the normal activities of the day so for example is not able to focus on the homework is not able to run in recess that child uh, should stay home if the child is in daycare and the daycare doesn't have enough staffing to take care of that ill child and take care of the other children that's another reason uh, for the patient to be home and the third last but not least is if that patient's infection is is deemed highly contagious so for example a patient with measles should stay home for seven days. Uh, a patient with tuberculosis uh, that's contagious cannot go to school for a certain period of time. So the idea that any child with a fever or any child with a pink eye or any child with uh, limited infection, localized infection should stay home is not really what we advocate for. But uh, we understand that the daycare uh, workers want to cover their end and don't want to have any parents yelling at them about why did you have allowed this child in and made my child sick as well. So there is a very fine line. We usually say that if a child has high fever with a sore throat, that's a patient who should be seen by the doctor because we want to make sure that the, that kid does not have strep throat, which is easily diagnosed and easily uh, treated. Another situation where kids should be seen by their doctor is if they have a high fever plus a generalized rash because again in the case of unusual generalized whole body rashes we want to make sure that it is not a contagious infection but most kids with fever who can still function take a Tylenol go home uh, go to school sorry and do their homework and come back they should uh, be sent to school and most kids with pink eye which is not swollen which is not uh, copiously having discharge that cannot be controlled can also go to school and most kids with diarrhea if they are not incontinent if uh, or if they are in diapers but the but the poop is not coming out of the diapers they can also be uh, sent to school again as i said we don't always agree with the daycare's stricter uh, guidelines when it comes to these but we try our best to to educate our parents about what to do in these situations so that they don't have to lose a day of work as well or find child child care for their kid who just has a simple fever. Do you find in this community that parents tend to bring their children to the doctors too early or too late? 
As I said earlier, I think that our community is very smart. Most parents have a very good instinct about when their child is sick enough to be seen by a doctor versus when they can uh, manage the situation at home. Uh, hopefully all of the pediatricians in the community are educating the parents as to what are the bad signs or red flags to look for to bring the kids to the doctor's attention. So in that sense, we are good. However, unfortunately, we also live in a community where most parents are working during the day and the only time they can take care of that of their sick children is in the evening and so they end up going to the emergency room uh, instead of instead of coming to the pediatrician's office but that's something that you know is, is a universal problem that um, and sometimes the emergency room gets over flooded with cases that are not emergencies yeah I understand I, I also um, as I mentioned we did another podcast on the flu and that's something that's in your wheelhouse too, I'm sure. Yes. Um, and I guess because very young children can't get the flu shot, I guess up to six months old, I'm assuming you really um, suggest very strongly that parents do get that shot so they don't pass on the flu to their children, right? Yes, absolutely. So influenza virus is not as common as the common cold. So you can actually live your whole lifetime and not catch the flu virus, but you would be a lucky person. If you unfortunately have the bad luck of catching the influenza virus, then you will never forget it because the fever, the muscle pain, the, the headache, the soreness associated with it, I'm told, is unforgettable. So therefore, parents should be educated about the difference between the common cold and the influenza or the flu. And we are vaccinating against the flu virus specifically, which as I described, can be pretty severe. And in those under five years of age, it can put them in the hospital and even lead to their death. Uh, similarly, pregnant women, obese kids, and asthmatic kids are at high risk for of the complications from influenza. Therefore, if you do have a vaccine available that's very safe and can prevent this infection in the very young or the very vulnerable, why not? Uh, so we highly advocate that these parents get on board with the vaccine. It is frustrating that we have to vaccinate every single year and scientists and doctors are working very hard to find a universal vaccine that will last for a lifetime. But until that day comes, we suggest that uh, especially the high-risk patients, but everybody else, the grandparents of the two-month-old baby who cannot get vaccinated, the babysitter, the, the daycare centers, all get vaccinated and indirectly protect the very young and the vulnerable from the disease. I know years ago, again, when my kids were young, my daughter in particular had some asthmatic issues. And every time we brought her to the doctor, we said, we'll give her an antibiotic. That'll make a difference. It seems to really relieve the problem. Today, they're not so quick to give antibiotics, right? How do you feel about that? Uh, that's a topic that is uh, something that I would love to speak about at length uh, with you, Steve, because uh, I hope the community realizes that uh, resistance to antibiotics is an urgent matter, not only in the United States, but worldwide. I'm just going to give you an example. When I was training about 15 years ago, we used to treat simple urinary tract infections with amoxicillin. I'm sure everybody's familiar with that antibiotic. That was the go-to 
agent to treat 99% of simple UTIs. Today, you cannot use amoxicillin to treat a UTI because the organisms, the bacteria that cause UTI have developed resistance to amoxicillin. Therefore, we have to use a bigger, stronger antibiotic to treat a simple UTI. And the reason for that is because we abused and overused and misused amoxicillin, and therefore we lost that medication completely to treat a simple urinary tract infection. So uh, hopefully this kind of gives you an idea of what but my answer is going to be to treat people with antibiotics just for a simple fever. The, the Most of the time, uh, when we have fever with runny nose or cough, 90% of the time, those symptoms are secondary to a viral infection. And by definition, viruses are not treated by antibiotics. They actually are self-limited illnesses and our immune system takes care of them. So therefore, most of the time, simple colds and sinus infections, even ear infections are don't need to be treated with antibiotics. And you're actually doing a disservice to your own system and to the community by using an antibiotic that not only is not going to change how long your child is sick, but also is going to change the whole normal bacteria that live with us, make them more resistant. And as I said, lose that whole class of drugs in the future to treat something that actually needs treatment with antibiotics. So I um, educate parents about that all the time. And I even ask parents that if they are offered antibiotics in an urgent care or an emergency room, they should probably question the doctor and say, does my child really need the antibiotic? And that's what a smart parent should do from now on, rather than ask for it, uh, say, oh, please, doctor, can you give me an amoxicillin or a ZPAC prescription? On the contrary, you should, you should question the doctor and say, does my child really need the antibiotic? Because it can be potentially more harmful than helpful to your child. That's good advice. Dr. K, we're running out of time here now, but I want to thank you for being here, for joining us in SBH Bronx Health Talk. For more information on services available at SBH Health System, visit www.sbhny.org. And thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Mr. Clark.